it's really important, especially with sexually abused victims, to put yourself in their shoes and kind of see what they go through every day. And the reason I say that is because a lot of times there's very basic tasks you may ask of your clients who are sexually abused and you wonder, okay, why can't this get done? But in reality, they're fighting a battle every single day. Hey, this is Sean Kernakin, and you're tuned into Civil Action. This is the podcast of Cabotech LLP. We're a firm in downtown LA that does a lot of different work on the plaintiff's side. We do anything from insurance to personal injury, trial work to employment cases. And we put this podcast on so we can share with you what we are learning about the law. We try to cover a new case every once in a while. We're also going to try to bring on some guests soon to help you with your practice, to share some practice pointers that they have. And we also want to share some other things with you about women in the law and other interesting topics. Our weekly podcast is dedicated to important topics for lawyers and issues in the law. We have guests. We talk about recent cases. We talk about trends. We talk about practice areas. We try to help people be better lawyers and learn about the law. In some ways, you can look at this as a 15 to 20 minute law school class each week. Welcome back to Civil Action. This is Brian Kabadek joining you again with my friend, my partner, and my sidekick, Ringo Starr. I mean, uh, uh, Sean Karnikian. That is offensive. Yeah. Welcome back, everyone. Don't I you think we- Ringo Starr may be one of the luckiest people in the entertainment business ever? Is Was he the fourth Beatle? Yeah, very good. Thanks. Yeah. 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 Yeah, that's a, that's a good reference. See, that's on topic. No, but today we are actually, we have the pleasure of having Gary Partamian, who's one of the young lawyers at our office, join us. He's a rising star and he's been with the firm since he graduated law school, maybe even before law school, right, Gary? That's correct. Yeah, I started yeah. as a law clerk. And I, I'm lucky enough to get to work with Gary and I've seen his talent in many different areas of the law. One area of the law that Gary seems to be slowly developing a focus on is sex abuse cases, which is one of the areas that we practice in. It's something that we have the honor of doing. And we've had episodes in the past where we talk about various recent time limits and changes in the law for bringing these types of cases. So we want to talk a little bit more about that today and a little bit about Gary's own experiences working with those clients and, and you know, handling those clients and supporting those clients and you know, getting to have the great honor of representing them in, in our legal process. Yeah, welcome, Gary. Thanks for joining us today. Thank you guys for having me. So, Gary, you've handled a number of different sexual abuse, childhood sexual abuse cases since you've been at the firm, and they've been different types of cases against different types of institutions, right? That's correct. It ranges from school districts to maybe foster homes, even the church cases as well. Right. So, and not just the Catholic Church, but there are other, our firms handle cases against other types of churches as well, just to be clear, although an awful lot of them do seem to come out of the Catholic Church these days. So let's just start with kind of a 10,000-foot view of the statute. And and we're recording this podcast at the very, very end, the the waning days of the year 2022. So it won't get released until next year when there's going to be a sea change in the law. And the law we're talking about is 340.1. So let's let's just talk about basics about 340.1. So currently on 340.1, it's just the basic childhood sexual abuse statute which can apply to anyone under the age of 18 and also above the age of 18, where it gets tricky and what Brian was mentioning. Where the sexual abuse happened, though, as a child, right? 
Correct. And where it gets tricky is uh, in terms of when the client or the plaintiff has reached the age of 18. As it currently stands, they have 22 years from the age of majority at 18 to file a claim or five years from the day they knew or should have known that this sexual abuse caused their psychological injuries. As Brian referred, we're at the end of the year of 2022, and that's a big, significant date as it relates to the statute, because on January 1, 2023, the revival window closes uh, as to... Well, partially closes. Incidentally, for our listeners, we have a detailed podcast with one of our partners, Marina Pacheco, who explains the statute in detail. So if you want to go back and listen to that one, I think it'll give a deep analysis. But let's just focus on 2023, the ability of someone over 40 after 2023 to simply file the lawsuit is going to be gone. It becomes it, it doesn't it doesn't mean they can't sue but there are a lot of hoops or at least one big giant hoop that people have to jump through, right? That's correct. Again, they go back to the whole, they have five years from the day they knew or should have known, but there's a lot of hoops if you're in that category. A lot of times you have to file attorney certificates of merit, basically going into the details of why they believe you're credible. Uh, You also have to get evaluated by mental health practitioners and once you go through that process, you go through extra hoops in going to the court and making sure that they find your claim is uh, reasonable and meritorious. And that's just to get it on file, right? That doesn't mean that down the line, you know, two years into your lawsuit, the defendant isn't going to cha- challenge you on statute of limitations grounds, right? Like, can they still bring a summary judgment or other argument on the merits as to why your claim is late? Yeah, in the beginning, too, one thing that I should have mentioned is that you can't name the defendants until the court finds that you have a reasonable and meritorious. Yeah, yeah. and we, we don't want to, Gary, we don't want to get into too many of those specifics because that's on the Marina Pacheco episode. But I think the important thing to talk about here is someone's over 40, they walk into your office, it's 2023, 2024, whatever year it is, and they say, I was molested by a teacher, I was molested by a clergy member when I was a little kid. Let's take people through what you're going to have to do to establish whether or not that person has a valid claim, because on its face, they don't, right? I mean, on their face, they do not qualify to be able to bring a lawsuit under 340.1. They have to meet certain criteria. So I think the most important thing, uh, once you go through their age, you should ask about the facts of the incident. And then you should go into when they came to this realization that this incident or multiple incidents by the same perpetrator may have caused. Bingo. That's what I want to focus on here is, Sean, what is the rule that someone's going to have to establish if they're over 40 in 2023, 2024? That they knew or should have known about the injury in this case, the abuse within the last five years, or they yeah. learned, or they they learned about it within the last five years. And and this is where it gets very touchy, right? Because you're going to be dealing with somebody who these, these people, by the way, are traumatized. I mean, the, I have seen a lot of our clients who have lifelong problems: alcoholism, drug abuse, but more than that, just difficulty coping, difficulty in their relationship, difficulty keeping a job. 
And now you have to sit down with them and ask them specifically, what is the event that occurred in the last five years that made you remember? And if the person's answer is, well, I've known all along, I remember this very clearly since the time I was 13 when this happened or whatever the age is, what happens then? So if they give you that scenario, the biggest issue is the statute of limitations. Uh, you're going to get stopped down the line once they do some basic. Discussion. Yeah. How are you ever going to get past the statute of limitations if they say I've known since I was 13? You won't unless there's some sort of record. A lot of times our clients don't really have a record. They just say this was the date. But it's essential to establish whether they knew of these incidents and they kept it in their memory or whether it was they knew that these incidents led to alcoholism or any other thing that led to the wrong path in their life. Yeah, I mean, it's one thing, this is where I want to probe you, is that the clients may say, well, I've known since I was 13, but you say, well, did you know, or is this something that you forgot or you repressed, more importantly, right? Yeah, and a lot of times what we'll notice with clients who are over the age of 40, it, it becomes a repressed memory. They try to forget about it and never think about it um, until they have this realization many years later. But Again, I'd say it's very important to make sure that at that age that they're thinking about this incident, they realize this is the root cause of their psychological damages. And why, why is it that this is a common sort of issue or theme in these types of cases? Well, number one, it's, it's embarrassing. A lot of these victims, uh, especially ones we deal with, can be younger boys at the time of the incident. And back at that time, it's, it's embarrassing for that to happen. So they try to forget about it, not really talk about it. And then many years later, now that the revival statute or there's a revival piece in the 340.1 statute has come out, a lot of firms have advertised. It's more talked about nowadays and therefore people are starting to come forward. Is it common that with, you know, for trauma like this to cause repression of that memory and the inability to realize that what happened was abuse and, and sexual assault and all those things? Oh, yeah, definitely. I mean, although I'm not a doctor, many of the psychologists that we deal with, uh, this is something common that they report is many of these victims just try to forget about it. You look at the other side with minors who may be sexually abused, and they do the same thing. Um, they don't want to talk about it. They don't really come forward until parents see some changes in behaviors. Um, so it, it's yeah. very common. So I wouldn't be surprised if it's like left unaddressed from a minor age. I'm really not surprised that as adults, they forget it for lack of a better term. Okay, know? but let's be, you know, let's be kind of practical about this because I, I'm listening to this and I want to make sure that if I were on the other side of this case, I would be probing everybody in the circle and the family of these people. You know, I want to know, I want to look at school records. I want to look at adult employment records, psych records, anything like that. Because, you know, frankly, and correct me if I'm wrong here, guys, but if I found a medical record from eight years ago where the plaintiff says, and I was abused by my teacher when I was 13, aren't you dead Aren't you, isn't your case done at that point? It depends, I would say. Uh, uh, on what? 
I mean, I, I'm going to probe this because I don't get how you get around that. The plaintiff said in a psych record or a psych eval or something like that, you know, in 2005, my teacher abused me when I was a little kid. It was really traumatic and it still bothers me today. How do you ever survive that? That's where it depends. If it's a psych record, uh, that's a little different than, I guess, your general everyday physician that you tell. They might, I mean, it really depends on the advice you get and whether you come to that realization that, you know, this was the incident that caused all of my psychological I don't know, Sean, help me out here. I'm, I mean, I, I'm not so, buying with so Gary Sullen today. I, I'm, I'm looking at the language from 341. Uh, or 340.1, and it says, you know, you have to bring it within five years of the date he or she discovered or reasonably should have discovered that the psych psychological injury or illness was caused by the sexual assault. So I think that would be your only angle to argue there, and I think it's probably going to be a fact-specific argument. It's not just an acknowledgement that you were abused. It could be, you know, the, the victim says, I was abused, and that's mentioned in a record, but that's different than tying your current injury and state of mind or illness, whether it's, you know, alcoholism, whatever your problem is to that injury. I mean, should they have tied it or reason? Should they have reasonably discovered that it's related to that? Possibly. I, I don't know. It, it depends. Okay. I, I would argue it depends. Like, look, the, the, the angle could be if the record is from a, you were a child seeing a psych and you mentioned something about abuse in there, but then you become an adult, you're past 40 years old and, and then the problem develops, but you've forgotten about the abuse, yeah. even though it's mentioned in a record. I agree with that. I think that could be a repressed memory. But what you're saying is that there's a that you may have known that you were, you know, abused by somebody, but you didn't have the causal link. That's the source of your problems as an adult. Yeah, that's spot on. I mean, or at the point where you made the acknowledgement in a record that the abuse happened, you didn't have this problem that now plagues you. You know, you acknowledged it when you were a child or 17, 18, 20 years old, but now 10, 20 years later, you've developed a serious problem. You've developed really bad PTSD. You've developed alcoholism and you've forgotten about the abuse. Yeah, sure. It's sitting in some record somewhere, but you've forgotten about it. So you really have no way of tying one to the other. I mean, that that's the argument I would make. I agree with that. I think if you're able to say, you know, I remember this when I was a kid, but then, you know, 25 years later, I've completely forgotten. It's out of my memory. I don't have any memory of it. I think that may carry the day. Now, but now let's use a more extreme example or slightly modified version. It's not even extreme. You know, somebody's trying to get the benefit of that revival window and argue that they just discovered this within the last five years. But there's a record from 10, 12, 15 years ago that shows that you're going to treatment or therapy to address really bad anxiety, PTSD, whatever the, con the, the tragic consequences are of this abuse caused by the abuse, then I think you're dead in the water in that scenario. Ten years ago, you're seeing help and you, there, there's an acknowledgement by you that I need help to treat this illness or injury that I'm suffering as a result of this brutal abuse I experienced. Then, yeah, I think you're, you're sort of sadly, very sadly, you're dead in the water there because that's more than five years from when you reasonably should have or did in fact discover that the psychological injury was caused by the assault or the uh, abuse. So Gary, how do you deal with these? We, we, you know, we've now identified some good things and some problems. We've also identified the fact that these people are um, traumatized. How do you deal with them? So, I mean, 
I think that number one, it, it's a little different and you have to be a little more delicate than in other types of cases. Uh, these people at this point, once they realize the trauma, are kind of living through it every day. And they're coming to you to be that person that can help them. So I think, number one, you have to start with identifying their support system because at any moment they could just explode with, with any emotions they may have. So I think you got to start with the support system, identify those people, and through the whole process, you have to walk them slowly through it. A lot of times you'll find yourself repeating the same things and trying to explain the process multiple times. And same on their end, they're, they're explaining the incidents multiple times. So it's very important to be someone who can listen to them and to, to make sure that you adjust with every situation that comes your way when they're dealing with the trauma. Yeah, it sounds like it requires a lot of patience. A lot of patience, especially when you find yourself going through the same story multiple times, but they feel as though they're giving you a new detail. You know, sometimes it, it may lead to a new detail, but you start to serve as, as almost their therapist or counselor, and you want to offer them more of your time past normal business hours, past like it could be the weekend, and, and if they need you, you start feeling that you need to offer your services to them outside of that. Yeah, I, I'm I'm sort of a believer in, especially in those scenarios when you're not dealing with a even look even if they are sophisticated, but if you're not dealing with a you know, sophisticated business owner in a in a more straightforward you know, business dispute or litigation like that, this is sort of like the other end of the spectrum of that. You know, dealing with a corporate client or like a, a sophisticated business owner, and this is the other end of the spectrum. This is someone that's traumatized that may have difficulty recalling what's happened or may have difficulty remembering that they've already shared with you. But at the same time, you don't want to shut them down because you're right. They might add a new detail to what your understanding is of what they've been through. And that may be very important to the case. That may be important in proving up your damages. That may be important in, in moving your case forward. So one thing I always try to impress upon younger lawyers that has been impressed upon me that clearly Gary understands, and I'm not taking credit for this because you know some of the other partners here have worked with Gary on these cases, but one of the things I try to impress upon them is it's difficult to present a compassionate case on behalf of your clients if you're not also being compassionate with them. You know, we often look at this as a job and it's like, well, let me just get the things done and I want to make sure I stay on track and follow our discovery plan and follow the, the schedule and make sure we keep the trial date and go to mediation and get this done and fast justice is good for our client. But sometimes, especially in these types of cases, it sounds like, Patience is important. Being compassionate and slowing down and, and talking to them is important because I think that reflects in how you'd later work up the case and present their case to a jury or in a mediation or to the defendant even. I just think these cases in 2023 and beyond are breaking into two very different categories, over 40 and under 40. Under 40, it's fine. But over 40, I think you just have to be very careful of what evidence is out there. And the clients, and I agree with everything you're saying about, you know, how to work with the clients, how to deal with the clients, but the clients are not the only source of information. You know, if you can talk, if they'll let you talk to family members, sometimes they don't, right, Gary? Sometimes they don't want you to, they don't want their family to know. That's correct. And one of these things with people who are over the age of 40, a lot of them, to be very honest, and it's sad, they were 
abused because they were more vulnerable. They didn't have a lot of family. A lot of them grew up in foster homes or didn't have great relationships with their parents. And so when we interview some of our clients and and try to get some information, especially to corroborate their story, they either don't have family or they have bad relationships with those family members uh, that they are aware of. But somehow we have to find out that there isn't a family member who's going to pop up and testify about how the plaintiff, you know, knew about this and talked about it for years or about how, you know, somebody in the neighborhood isn't going to talk about it. Along the guidelines, what you just said, I just don't want any surprises. I would take a case and pursue it and believe my clients, but I also want to make sure I've gotten all the records, I've gotten all the documents I possibly can get my hands on. And that's definitely something you get with sexual abuse cases based on the two categories. You see it a lot over 40 and under 40. There will be a lot of surprises along the way, Um, Mm. whether it's certain things in terms of facts of how they remember it or who they claim they told and who they didn't tell. And, And it's very common to have surprises along the way. Yeah. Well, yeah, it's, it gets- it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a good discussion and yeah, it sounds like none of these cases are perfect and you are going to have clients where they traditionally be thought of as not so great clients or clients with problems. But the sad irony is it's the injury, it's the abuse that's caused this and made them kind of imperfect people. And, you know, that's part well, of we're, what we, we're, we're, we're all imperfect people, Sean, yeah. except for me. And so please try to remember that when you're dealing with the clients always and other people that were all imperfect, especially you. So I think, though, that the lesson from this is obviously just like all your clients, you have to be passionate. You have to have a special layer of passion and compassion for them and for what they're going through. But I also think that clients have to, you know, understand the law. I would certainly sit down in an initial interview with a client and explain to them, because you're over 40, sir, I, I need to explain to you what the law is so that they fully understand. And then I would try to get as many records as possible. And one thing you said, Gary, about these people is a lot of them have had problems over their, their lives and difficulties, and that may result in records and lots of records. So try to get those as quickly as possible. So, Gary, do you have any final thoughts on this subject as we wrap up here? Yeah, to kind of recap and summarize everything, I guess it's it's really important, especially with sexually abused victims, to put yourself in their shoes and kind of see what they go through every day. And the reason I say that is because a lot of times there's very basic tasks you may ask of your clients who are sexually abused, and you wonder, okay, why can't this get done? But in reality they're fighting a battle every single day now that they've realized they're victims and their whole life trajectory may have changed because of this abuse. So I think it's it's really important to put yourself in their shoes, be very patient, and take the time to know and learn from your client so that you can advocate the correct way for them. Well, Gary, that's, thank you very much. Yeah, that's great. That's and those advice. are good words. Yeah. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. And to our listeners out there, if you guys ever have questions about this stuff and not to volunteer Gary to respond to everyone, but if you do have questions, you know, people like you contact us, you contact Gary, you need samples for anything, you want to bounce ideas off of us or have questions or have suggestions, 
in response to what we talked about, please feel free to reach out. Reach out to and us. Sean, and Sean, where can they find us and where can they see our and listen rather listen to our other podcasts? I think we're all on all podcast platforms, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and all those places. You can go back. We've done other, I'm pretty sure we've done other episodes about sexual abuse cases, aside from the statute of limitations one that Brian talked about. We've also you know, talked to other lawyers that do this stuff. So there's some good information out there. You can find us online. Our website is kbklawyers.com. Uh, we should be on all social media platforms, but you know, reach out to us, call us, email us, whatever we can help with. We'd love to help you. Or if you want to work with us on anything, we'd love to hear from you. Gary, thank you so much for being a guest today. We really appreciate it. Hope you come back and join us. Thank you for having me. Thanks everyone. Hey, thank you for listening today. We really appreciate it. This is Brian Kabatek. You can reach me at bsk at kbklawyers.com. And I'm Sean Kernick, and you can find me online at sk at kbklawyers.com. And as you might have guessed, our website is kbklawyers.com. You could find us on all social media platforms at Cabotech LLP. We like putting on the show. We appreciate you listening. If you can, go online and like us, give us ratings, follow us on all the different platforms. If you know someone that practices in a particular area and you, you think they might find this useful, feel free to share it with them. And feel free to reach out to us if you have any questions, if you want to bring an interesting case to our attention, you have a potential case you want advice on from us, we'd be happy to help you out if we can. And we'd love to hear from you. Thank you.